I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. From Postcard from the Past and Wardle Studios, this is Podcast from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. This is the podcast where we spend just a little bit of time wondering what it is about little cardboard oblongs that makes them so easy to keep, so hard to throw away, and how that white space beside the address can be filled with clichés, gossip, news, weather reports, poetry, or a mixture of all of the above, as we attempt to understand the memories, meanings and stories held by picture postcards. I'm Tom Jackson, and today I'm delighted to say that my guests are journalist Rachel Jolly and author Kerry Hudson. Kerry and Rachel, hello and welcome. Hello. Thank you. Now, Rachel Jolly is the award-winning editor of Index on Censorship. Um, She's written and edited for magazines and websites in the UK and internationally. She's currently a visiting fellow in journalism at Sheffield University. Still true? That's true, yes. Very good. Absolutely true. (laughs) And she regularly speaks uh, at the world's biggest literature festival uh, at Hay. And she co-wrote the play Murdering the Truth. Now, Rachel comes to us today with a blurry Northampton postmark. Yes. Um, as I was... I, I, All my family has grown up in Northampton for, I think, possibly 400 years. So Good we did Lord. a little bit of family tree. It's uh, amazing know, to know that. Looking back at my family tree. And some people... I was a bit jealous, actually, because everybody seems to have exciting relatives who've lived in Australia or Canada <laughs> or Ireland or Norway... All of my family forever have lived in Northampton. All of them worked in the shoe trade. Cardboard box makers, uh, shoelace makers. Some of them wow. excitingly cut the leather of the shoes. They were the really posh ones. So do you, do you wear perfectly handmade Northampton shoes all the time? <laughs> no, but when I was a child, my dad, who, who worked in the shoe industry, always shined our shoes on a, on a Sunday night. He was very big on the shiny shoes. He, that, was, that was a sure sign that, you know, he would like you... A lot if you had shiny shoes. <laughs> it's one way to judge people. <laughs> now, Rachel, do you still send postcards? I do. When I'm on holiday, I, I do like to send a postcard. Um, so I travel quite often to Italy and they do a nice little postcard, I think, a sort of seaside postcard. And I do find, I, you know, I like to write a note back to my mum usually. She loves a postcard. And um, I do find it quite often the hardest thing about writing a postcard is finding somewhere that sells the stamp. Yes. So I often travel around with them for my two weeks holiday with my little bag of postcards thinking, when am I going to find the stamp place? Oh, no, something to worry about when you're on holiday. <laughs> you don't want to worry about things on holiday. And then finally, on the last day, invariably, I will find the shop that sells the stamps and manage to send them back. 
Very good, very good. Uh, now, Kerry Hudson is a novelist. Um, her first novel, Tony Hogan Bought Me an Ice Cream Float Before He Stole My Ma. Ridiculous title. Well, <laughs> you used up all the ink on that. Uh, she was the winner, that was the winner of the Scottish First Book Award. Mm-hmm. Um, and her second novel, Thirst, um, was a, a, a highly regarded love story about human trafficking. And that won France's most prestigious award for foreign fiction. Strange to think that that was picked up in France for that award. Yeah, it's it, yeah. They really, they really loved it there. They said it wasn't a rosewater story. That was what they said. So I rose think they like. Well, they they didn't want it. They they didn't want their love stories like in any way frothy or uh-huh. sentimental or um, overly emotional. And that is definitely not my my shtick. Certainly my <laughs> writing anyway. So I guess they responded to that. <laughs> well, you've taken that uh, bittersweet uh, style to your new book, which is uh, a memoir, Lowborn, uh, story of childhood. Um, and a meditation on poverty, really, mm. um, which has been extraordinarily well received. And uh, I, I it's fair to say it's probably been your your biggest book so far. Yeah, for sure. It's been it's been a delight to see it welcome with such open arms. Uh, it's a wonderful book, very personal, painful, um, and I feel written with a kind of grace, meaning grace in the elegance of the prose but also a kind of forgiveness of the trials of the past. Um, It's a very good book, as far as I'm concerned. Now, Kerry, as people who've read Lowborn will know, your personal postmark is one of the smudgiest you can have. <laughs> so tell, tell, tell us briefly, why, why so smudgy? I just, so um, as people who've known, uh, either my, who've read my first book or, or Lowborn will know, I was born in Aberdeen to a matriarchal clan of fishwives and uh, fishermen. So I also have that sort of lineage of, um, of sort of a family doing one trade all the way down the line. Uh, my dad, though, was from LA. Um, so that's already quite... Uh, I mean, Aberdeen and LA is an ungodly mix by anyone's standards. Boomtowns. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and then we just, I mean, part of the the sort of the the narrative bone of, uh, backbone of Lowborn is that we moved all the way up and down the country several times. So it's kind of like a, imagine an envelope with much not at this address, forward onto this address, lots of smudgy, smudgy uh, postmarks and lots of stickers on top of stickers with different addresses. That's probably most accurate. Uh, and I suppose the other lesson of Lowborn is that despite that, the the, the the piece of correspondence arrives in the end. It does. You know, make it, it through. It, yeah, exactly. You finally get the message yeah, in the end. You can get lost in the post for a while, but you come out the other side. Well, before we discover the cards that Kerry and Rachel have brought along, um, I've got uh, a couple of mine. These are um, postcard from the past type cards, like I do on Twitter, a past postcard, um, from which I've taken an old card and just a bit of the message. So here's one. Um, this is... Exeter Cathedral on oh, a lovely sunny day. Oh, look at that day. car park. Yeah, <laughs> look at that car park. Unbelievable. A gothic, gothic masterpiece. And what does she say? Look at the car park. <laughs> yeah. well, they have certainly favoured the car park more than you might, I think. Yeah, that's yes. why it's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> and the cars. Yeah. <laughs> Well, actually, when I put some cards on, on Twitter, it's only the cars that people talk about. They love, oh, is that? And then it argues ensue about the exact model. Um, and this is my tribe. 1970-something. You can't see. Uh, mid-70s, I think. Uh, 4.5p, sent to Grantham in Lincolnshire. And it's just a bit of the message that appealed to me. It's a detail, really. Um, and the correspondent, Marge, says, Just eaten my dinner. 
curry pasty and cream cake. Mm, healthy. Pretty good dinner. Look, that person's my new hero. Yeah, she's on holiday. She's on holiday. That's okay. You're allowed. You're definitely allowed. Um, oh. Always oh, another another um, uh, clerical building, another religious building. In fact, it, it's Exeter Cathedral again. Oh, cars. That is a coincidence. Also, um, the car park cars, is quite a prominent cars, feature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, the, the, stone, the stone has changed colour. And the car park's moved a bit away. But um, this is a bit later, because now it's um, seven pence to send this one. So it's twice the price. Uh, and this was sent to Stockton. And um, this I like because it feels like there's a story uh, resonating off these words. Um, and uh, Linda says, The novelty of being Miss Yardley is beginning to wear off. <laughs> Excellent. That's amazing. We need to know more about that. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's no more to know, even oh if I read God. you more. But Can I have that for a novel, please? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes. It's recorded, though. It's mine. Usual, usual, <laughs> usual deal. Usual deal, Kerry. Do you think the writer ha- was sent along to a beauty pageant and accidentally won the crown and... I don't know. Sending I the impre- message home. I have a feeling she, it was something she set her heart on. She really wanted yeah. it, and she won it. And, of course, like so many achievements in life... Once you've got it, perhaps it's not quite what you wanted or wasn't quite Imagine enough. Imagine the rigours of being Miss Yardley as well. <laughs> How amazing. Yeah, well, I mean, Yardley, who are, I'm sure, an excellent company to work for. Um, you know, perhaps in those days they, they pushed their... Um, what, what, what would they call them now? Spokes, spokesmodels. Yes. Yeah. They, they, they push them hard. Insta influencer, yeah. Yeah, 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 influencers, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Miss Yardley would have been a proto-influencer. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of my friends was sent along as a reporter to cover the Miss Cromer pageant and ah. ended up winning it. No. Yes. Did she slip a sash on by mistake she, or something? I, I think there was probably not enough competitors and they said, go on, go on, go on. She came back, told the news editor, um, you know, I won it. <laughs> <laughs> what a great to, story. She had to serve as Miss Kramer for a whole year. Really? Yes. There should be a name for that kind of um, power dynamic when the wrong person wins who wasn't part of the thing. Because do you remember, you're probably both too young, but there was a TV show called something like Mr. Right or Searching for Mr. Right, and it was about a chap whose name was Wright. I think it's probably Pinchman American format. And they had a dozen women who he was, who were vying for his attention. It was like a sort of dating game, prime time, ITV. And the presenter was Ulrika Johnson. And I know, this isn't, I'm not saying anything bad. But anyway, the upshot of it was Ulrika Johnson married him. So the presenter <laughs> married him. So it, we, we kind of, I think it's similar. Like yes. the reporter goes and yeah. becomes Miss Cromer. You have to watch those reporters. <laughs> a coup, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're best placed, don't they? They get to see everything. Special mm. access. So, Kerry, Kerry, when did you last send a postcard? Uh, quite recently, actually. So I was recently, only a few weeks ago, in Tbilisi in Georgia, one of my favourite mm, places in the world. Lovely. It was during their what um, people in Armenia were slightly disparagingly calling their mini-revolution, but actually a really amazing moment when all of all of Tbilisi took to the streets to protest Russian occupation. Wow. Um, and so it was a really interesting time to be there. So I sent one. Me and my husband um, are really, really prolific postcard senders. So he much more so than me. Um, but I will always send one to him because he loves getting one in the post. So. <laughs> I, I said something the other day. I don't think that feeling ever stops. That it's nice to get stuff in the post, so long as it's nice stuff. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? The yeah, excitement. especially now. I mean, there's not enough stuff comes in the post now, so you know it's really exciting when something comes through the front door and you hear the noise 
And you're like, what can that be? And the it... dog goes mad. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a postcard that's with some writing. That's great. Yeah, quick. Let's put it on the mantelpiece. Very good. Um, just to let you know at home, uh, images of all the cards we discussed today are on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can investigate for yourself. Now... Rachel and Kerry, you've both been kind enough to come along um, to the studio with a number of postcards. Rachel, let's start with uh, your first one. Now, this is very much tied in with your professional life, isn't yes, it? Yes, so it is. Tell me, tell me what you got. So I have a postcard of the first cover of Index on Censorship magazine. So uh, that that was in uh, spring 1972. And we love this postcard so much that we've reproduced it and we send it to people and we give it to people as a gift um, because there's something so exciting about it for people who work at Index on Censorship. Because it, 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 it looks, for some reason, typical of a literary magazine of that era. I don't know. Is it to do with that? Because the word index in lowercase yeah. is written up vertically along one side. Is it, it's why? very simple, isn't it? And yeah. you can sort of imagine them putting it together and, and you know, shading. Le- I think it probably was <laughs> letter set, something like that. I mean, they, you know, they, the index is always run on a shoestring. Right. Um, so it was probably something very simple like that. Um, so it, it does say something about the era, I think, and um, probably about how they didn't have very much money. But then on the cover, you've got the names of some amazing uh, authors. So... Um, Index was set up by a poet called Stephen Spender, a very famous British poet, um, and he had great contacts around the world. But um, the reason it was set up, the magazine was set up, was that um, a set of Russian writers wrote to writers in the UK and they said, we can't get our work published in what was then the Soviet Union. Uh, Please, can you help us get our work published? We need a publication. We We don't just need people to campaign and tell others what's going on. We actually want, we're writers, we want to be published. Oh, so it's not enough just to say, isn't it dreadful they don't get published? Yeah. You might as well provide them that We outlet. want our writing to be seen and read by people. I'm sure you understand that, <laughs> Carrie, as a writer. Strongly relate. <laughs> yeah, and, and so they decided to, uh, a set of uh, British writers got together um, and uh, and artists, Yehudi Menuhin was involved, and um, they said they would set up the magazine and um, I actually brought a copy, the, the original copy uh, along as well, just so you guys could have a quick look and it's on lovely thick paper um but it's got alexander sojanitsyn in it and he you know he was one of those russian writers who couldn't have his work published at home what stage of his career would he be at then? and so he um as you know he was um in a labor camp in in russia and his work was banned and and censored and so um for many years the his work was being smuggled out to london to be um published in index and the first editor of Index, um, very luckily, was a Russian translator, Michael ah, Scammell, okay. who had learnt, he'd, uh, in the Second World War, he had learnt Russian um, as part of uh, his wartime work. And so, uh, yeah, that turned out to be very handy for all those translations of Russian writers. So it was always about uh, writers around the world, though. It wasn't just about writers in one country. So there, there are writers from Argentina and there are writers from uh, South Africa and so on. But there's something quite exciting, about I think, about the the, the image of the very first issue and actually having the issue itself so you can who, sort who else of is in there in that one the first one so um the, well the ones you probably will know is Stephen Spender Alexander Solzhenitsyn there's uh George Seferas um Jose Cardoza 
Perez, um, Jennifer Coates writing about Bangladesh. But it was interesting because I just, on my way over, I started flicking through and looking at some of the things about what they were writing at the time, and it seemed so current. Right. You know, they were saying, oh, it's about borders going up and down, it's about police and it's about security, it's about how we get our words out. And I thought, oh, doesn't that feel familiar? Mm-hmm. But you know, the, there is something, it touches on, I think, a bit of literary history, but also about the, sort of the key issue that we deal with all the time, which is about uh, journalists and writers being censored. And, and you, you get a kind of sense of the works being smuggled out across borders. So there's something about that. I think all of that I get from the postcard. And the kind of um, nuts and bolts of getting stuff out. That must have changed now, the yes, digital world. Yes, so a lot of, in the beginning, it was it was often passed hand-to-hand in envelopes and across borders. And wow. Robert McCrum, who um, has been a big friend of Index over the years and um, was the former literary editor of The Observer, told me a story about how he went into Prague with a bag of bananas <laughs> and then he exchanged the bananas for some text and then, the, you know, and he went, when it was still communist wow. and took the they, bananas were in short supply. So, no, that, sure was, they were, so yeah. that was, you know, um, something useful to have. A three-volume three novel for yeah, some bananas. And it was, so also quite good for bribing guards and things, I think, you know. And, yeah, so often envelopes and passed hand-to-hand and so on. Um Although I, we're, we're starting to think that that might be a good idea again, you know, because all of that digital stuff, okay. it's, getting, it's getting more and more difficult to mm. get digital email, you know, gets, everyone can see email. Oh, you think it's too you, vulnerable? It's too, yeah. And so there's been a lot of talk about how actually going back to paper, um, one of the journalists I know says he's not reading electronic books anymore. He's only reading books on paper because he doesn't want other people to know what he's reading. And, you know, he's in a country... Well, I'm the same, but it's because I don't want to drop the book in the bath. <laughs> he has, he's more worried about what the state might right. be watching. You know, so it is... It, oh, it, we've we've gone one way, but I think, in a sense, we might there might be a sense that we're, we're going back to paper in some, in some ways. It has certain levels of security that digital doesn't. Would you ever reissue those? It would be fascinating to see how people respond to it now. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. certainly something... Or selected, perhaps. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. it's something that we're thinking about. Um, yeah, yeah. And we do have a complete archive in the Bishopsgate Institute in London, so oh. it's open to the public and free, so people could go and see the issues. One question that, 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 that kind of strikes me is, that is, is sort of typical of our time. Um, obviously, freedom of speech is, is kind of a, a banner for you. That's a phrase and a kind of uh, ideology that gets kind of hijacked quite a lot at the moment mm-hmm. as an excuse for hate speech and so on. How do you deal with the way that that particular area has got a bit kind of hijacked and, and, and re, reused? I think it, you have to take it to basic principles, which is that free speech is about um, everyone's right to say things and they, they, those things you might find offensive or concerning or worrying um, and you have to be prepared that people will say things that you might not like and you might disagree with strongly. And those things should, you know, and those things should be allowed. Um, And that is something, uh, that is a principle that we find a lot of people don't seem to uh, feel strongly about at the moment. Uh, That There is this kind of bubble society where we, a lot of people don't often meet people who they disagree with. The echo chamber. The echo chamber, and, and find it difficult to be in a room or in a discussion with people that they disagree with. So there is this this thing about what is hate speech and what is what is 
incitement and what is, you know, what is offensive. And I think we have to be very careful with all of those things because um, they are very loosely used often. Um, oh, where they're, people they're used are just, banners, they're they? used in a sense of, I don't like what you're saying yeah. or I disagree strongly with what you're saying. And that's a whole different thing from, say, incitement to violence, which is obviously where we would absolutely draw the line or, you know, um, where, and uh, I think, we have to be careful that that space in the middle where it's actually about people having different views or strongly held beliefs that you you might strongly disagree with, but you have to be prepared to hear them because if you're not prepared to hear their views, they're not prepared to hear your views, then what kind of society are we going to live in? And are we just going to turn off everybody and so this, we end up with a world of silence? I mean, that I think people don't think about the consequences as much as they should. It's interesting, walking those tightropes. You know, you're up, cliche upon cliche, but you're at the cutting edge of that, having to sort of, to some extent, track those changes in, in yeah. the way people see the world and what people are and aren't prepared to listen to. Absolutely, and I think you quite often have to fight for people that you personally might really strongly disagree yes. with their views, but you have to <laughs> believe that in their right to have them and their right to, to be allowed to say them. Yes, well, you know, we, we, we all have to live in the same place, so uh, your neighbours may be obnoxious, but they have a, light, a right to live there and, you know, even mow their lawn on a Sunday morning. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. Straight to the serious issues. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, Kerry, you brought far too many cards with you, but Sorry. what's the first lump you've got for us? So the first lump is um, it are actually postcards between me and my husband. Um, we, I feel this is like so um, frivolous and sentimental after your beautiful talk like about censorship and freedom of speech. Um, so uh, me and my husband uh, only met each other five years ago now, so uh, not that long ago. And we were friends for a long time. And then when he went to France to visit his mum in a tiny little village in France called Blenny he sent me a postcard that was a beautifully drawn map of the village but when you turned it a certain way it was a perfect diagram of a giant cock <laughs> by chance no no by deliberate by deliberate by design. Yeah, no so he, he spent ages he did, it was coloured in there were felt Good. tips and I was like oh this is this guy's pretty special <laughs> this is the man exactly. I, I love exactly and somebody else was like he definitely likes you if he drew you a giant cock and a postcard <laughs> then he really likes you am I allowed to say um, cock this many times in the podcast. I think you have. Is it a first? Okay, it just happens. Um, we'll be putting so... the little E explicit. <laughs> That's fine. Never had a podcast without one. Can I just Quite say, I really like those draw yourself postcards. You know, I have actually got a book of um, empty postcards, the ones that you can just draw your own, you know, image on them. I think they're yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, it was just it was just like a really lovely thing. And then when we finally got together, he has an enormous collection, probably not to rival yours. But, oh, well, um, <laughs> mine's a hoard, so uh, his is probably a collection. Um, but, uh, and so we spent like an afternoon just sitting in his room reading through them and oh, the lovely. things that he found, yeah, like charming and funny about them and sweet, I also did. And so really like our love affair sort of happened over it. So these oh, then well, you're in the right place. This is great. Exactly, exactly. So this is one from him from uh, Geneva. He's Swiss. His family are Swiss. And he's written some... I asked him if I, I'll read it. I don't think you can decide if you want to put it in. Uh, my absolute beloved, I found an affordable and very cute cafe near the station. Um, it's Geneva, so everything costs £20. Oh, yeah. uh, it's so nice to be in a new place again, but still not as good as that garage forecourt, or even better, where I here with you. You are my most favourite person in all the world, and I 
adore you, kiss. And then he's done like little pictures. And so, oh. so postcards have kind of become this like lovely yeah. love letter between us, I guess. Ooh. Isn't that brilliant that you can put that in a postcard? And that's not a secret message. You can feel, I can feel it from here. It's yeah. Stuff. It's quite a small studio. Maybe you can feel it too much, <laughs> perhaps, actually. That's really sweet. That's really sweet. No, it's and lovely. he didn't mind the postman scene. That's what I was thinking. He doesn't, I mean, I mean, he did say to me, I said, I'm going to read these out with this podcast. He said, oh, God, do I not have any privacy? And I was like, you're literally married to a memoirist. Like, yes, what, yes, what yes. on earth were you expecting? Check <laughs> so, out my CV. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to my next book also. People keep um, recognising him from the book now oh, really? and getting all misty-eyed and sentimental. Well, you, you, um, you do speak very, very highly of him in the book. He's a very delightful man and tall. So, um, so, yeah. So it's, and, and the other one is from me, from Tbilisi, um, just also basically talking about how much I love him. Um, it's not a super good story, but it is a very simple one. No, but it's, it's, for me, it's interesting that you are doing that on postcards because not everyone is. Postcards yeah. are not always used like that these days. No, and I think often they're very brief. Um, hello, I'm here, I'm in this place. See you soon, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, yeah that they're gens- quite sort of schematic. Yeah. But also, you know, as someone who's interested in old postcards, people used to, in um, the early days, the golden age, they called it, sort of before the First World War, they would write a lot of very uh, sort of emotional and, and, and romantic messages on postcards. They were used because... There weren't many. You couldn't. You couldn't do it any other way, really, yeah. except in person. And often people would say things a little bit in code or whatever. Yeah. But there was a way of people keeping in touch and, and and expressing their feelings. So I think it's a long and noble tradition. Well, it's lovely, and it's lovely to have these as well. You know, like we moved, we moved, we travelled all the way around the world a few years ago. We've moved like five times just since we've been together. Um, uh, but we always have these, and they're like this lovely, like sort of place marker of where a relationship is and where we've been together and when we've been missing each other. So well, they're not. Too too big as souvenirs. This is the thing. You know, yes. you can keep quite a lot of postcards before you fill your garage and can't get in it. <laughs> I now, love I love the idea of the um I've heard about but never used the post restaurant. Is that mm. what it's called? Oh, I don't, post, I don't, I don't even really know what that is. I think were they the, how is it pronounced? I think it, I think it's post. I never used it either. I looked no. into it. I mean, you don't really need to know you've got email and things. No, not but basically. The, the post, the, but you could stay somewhere you for could, you. If you were going on a world trip, which yeah. It'd be quite useful for you, wouldn't it, <laughs> on your world trip, um, on your book tour or something. You got your post sent to the post office to of Hull, that to sit- whole post office. Yes, yeah, <laughs> any any post office around the world, and then you would go into the post office, and all your post would be there. Yes, wouldn't that be lovely? It'd be like being in a Graham Greene novel. Or something. Yeah, <laughs> yes, no. you could send your postcards to your husband. Wherever he was around the world, and then when he was in Sicily or whatever, he'd just pop into Palermo post office, pick Aww, up his postcards. By the nice. time he gets there, they're practically bindable. <laughs> added, yeah, added layer of like sentimentality, yeah. I think, to, to then go and collect them. Yes. But, For, uh, fourth day, I've come to no, still not here. <laughs> well, normally at this stage, I would uh, do another one of my uh, uh, amusing cards, but actually, um, with you in mind, Kerry. Um, I know that one of the towns in your book uh, is Great Yarmouth. You used yes. to live in Great Yarmouth. And sunny, so, sunny Great Yarmouth. Well, exactly. I was digging through some old cards I had at Great Yarmouth and I thought I'd share them with you. Now, these, these are from 1906. So there's no danger of bumping into anyone. Um, oh, my God. So Do you know how what? much of that is still there? Well, the Winter Gardens are now this enormous... So that the, this is a picture of uh, Britannia Pier and the Winter Gardens, which is like the big sort of glass structure, um, is now the most Las Vegas-y casino, like, like arcade you can ever imagine. Oh, really? I write about it in the book, actually. It's like just being assaulted from all sides by all your senses. 
Um, but a lot of it, I worked on this pier actually. Did you? Yeah, I did. Um, I, I worked on the stool where you throw darts to get teddy bears, um, but I didn't totally understand how it worked. So everyone got a teddy bear that day. Uh, were you and my long? Bus, <laughs> I was like, they're exactly doing bus offensive. Is everyone, is everyone winning? And I was like, yeah, I don't know. They're just all winning. Um, so I did not last long there. But it's, I mean, Great Yarmouth, I think, has so many charms. Um, it's just a, a real shame that it, it, you know, it never really caught up to these glory days, I think, you know. I, I worked on the Great Yarmouth Mercury as a, as a reporter. Did you? Did you? So that's how you started out. Oh yeah. my God, I'm so starstruck. How so, Very exciting job. And we used to, you know, be able to interview all the stars on the pier, like, you know, Jim yeah. Davidson or whoever he came He had by. the theatre for a while, didn't yeah, he? And, yeah, and he would be there a lot. And uh, go to the circus. Is the circus still there? The circus is, the circus is as someone told me in Norwich at a literary festival recently, still world class. World class. <laughs> it's an amazing it's really building. Impressive. And they've really got um, amazing they've building. got a water show now. It's really impressive. Yeah. When were you at the Mercury? Oh, um, long time ago, more than 20 years now. Um, We'd have been there at the same time. Yeah. So I wonder if you ever covered not this, like my... Not this long ago, <laughs> I'll just put that out. <laughs> no, 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 no. I did do some um, theatre reviewing at the Yarmouth Theatre, but yeah, it was a... I know, I just went to see that film yesterday, and Yarmouth, I think, is in there. Oh, it's all I in think it's East shot over there, isn't it? Yeah, yes. it's all in the East Anglia coast, and oh. I work for the Eastern Daily Press, we covered it all over East Anglia, so I'm like, ooh, there, and ooh, yes, and that's, I recommend, <laughs> you know, and I go there, and I know where it all is. So now, it's lovely. Here's it? another one of Great Yarmouth. Now, this one, I didn't really understand, but I think you <gasps> might understand better. Oh, it's the herring, the Scottish lassies at work, Great Yarmouth. This is astounding. Is it the Well, because herring? it's the herring woman, yeah. So and the women who travel, they travel yes. from Aberdeen. Yes. So, so one of the things that I say in the book is that I travelled... You took the to, route. Like, we took the route down the yeah. coast. The and same that made way. me think of this. They call, it, they call it chasing silver darlings. That's what they'd say. So they'd follow the herring phrase. all the way down. For My, grim work. Yeah awful like backbreaking brutal rough work but that's why the women who emerged from it were like you know brick shit houses right, that's with where loads of attitude. They... yeah exactly yeah i mean they yeah, were yeah. astounding women what an incredible card it's funny isn't it and then oh, and, and they call them they call them scotch lassies yeah yeah, yeah a, a, a wee scotch lassie yeah. yeah sort of affectionate or diminutive or whatever but it's um I, i'd love to see those women in Great Yarmouth and how how that all works. I would love to go back and be like so <laughs> back they, in time. They yeah. would have travelled from Scotland, or they, were they living in Yarmouth? I think or? they came every year, didn't they? They, they travelled down, so, so they literally work. yeah, it's seasonal work. Okay, and like they just followed, in Kent or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they just followed the they followed the route down, right. and then they do their work, and then they go back to Scotland. And they were considered colourful enough to have a postcard done of them yeah. to sell to tourists. Yeah, I've never seen that before ever. It's amazing. And Yarmouth still has a big connection with Scotland through the oil and the gas and the, that that industry, I think. So the Aberdeen link's still there. Occasionally, I mean, I, I feel like whenever I meet anyone Scottish, they're like, oh, do you know Davey? Do you know Davey? <laughs> From down the shop. And I'll be like, no, I don't, because <laughs> because Scotland's quite big. But there is like a sort of automatic kinship with Scottish people, which I love. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're automatically best pals with whatever Scot you meet. So I did meet quite a lot of Scottish people. And and also, I mean, a lot of my, my family went there really because they were kind of itinerant. And it's a seaside Towns, there's seasonal work and there's accommodation and that's a really important uh, that was a really important thing for us so yeah. how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Podcasts from the Past, the Postcard Podcast. My guests today are Kerry Hudson and Rachel Jolly. Now, Rachel, what's the second card you've got for us today? I'm, like, the serious one today. <laughs> I'm feeling like... Well, you say you're serious. There's a cartoon in your hand. I know, but cartoons can be serious, ah, I enough, think. True enough, true And so um, I bought this one because um, we commissioned... We work a lot with cartoonists and um, some... They, they, do, they work for the magazine and we work with them when they end up being censored by or put in prison and all these kind of things that happen to cartoonists in different parts of the world. Um, and we commissioned a series of postcards that were themed around free speech um, from cartoonists around the world. And the one, this was a quite a quirky one. I quite like this one because it's got a, a woman having a cup of coffee, reading a newspaper, and then you've got this huge sort of surveillance eye over the top of her yeah, looking she has down. Eyeballs, <laughs> three eyeballs, in fact, looking down and reading the newspaper over her shoulder. And I thought, well, that feels just like all these things that are in the newspapers this morning, all the stuff about more and more surveillance and this wasn't this isn't this year's postcard so it was a few years ago but I think it's really caught something about how we worry about who's watching us and and when they're watching us and what information is being captured and um, you know some of the stuff that's coming on in China at the moment about facial recognition and um, CCTV everywhere and, and how that's being used to stop people um, particularly um, the Uyghur Muslims in parts of China from traveling around anyway I felt like this cartoon in a in a quirky way captured some of that idea really some of those kind of important messages around um, censorship and free expression and surveillance and so car- cartoonists often find themselves at the sharp end of the, the issues around censorship, don't they? Because they're, I suppose, because they're trying to catch the moment. Yeah, and, and they're uh, pushing the boundaries. Yeah. And as we've seen with some of the news coverage recently, um, some newspapers are edging away from cartoonists because mm. they, they, they're 
worried about that. They're worried about the flack that they get for that. Some they have to be outrageous, don't they? A lot of cartoonists are, you know, caricaturing some of the leading politicians and not all of the politicians like that. So I think I think in this country actually quite a lot of politicians quite like those caricatures. I've been told Typically, with but... the spitting image puppets of yesteryear that actually the politicians that were caricatured in spitting image they quite liked it. But But do you think British British political cartoons are as savage? These days, I'm not sure they are as well, savage as they have been. Some of Martin Rousen's are pretty savage, That's I would true. say, yes, yes. in The Guardian. Yes. And, um, yeah, so, as you say, so cartoonists um, do get locked up. We work with a Malaysian cartoonist called Zunar, who's been imprisoned, and um, and some Turkish cartoonists, uh, like Musa Kart and... When yeah, you say so, you work with them, what do you well, do? Well, Zuno was actually an award winner of ours and um, has, we, we, bring, he, we help him travel around the world sometimes. He came over recently for our awards. Um, we ran campaigns around what was happening to him in terms of um, charges against him um, and doing press work to raise the profile of what was happening, um, some coverage of what is going on you know, in different countries in the world around um, cartoonists. And also we commission cartoonists because, of course, they need money to carry on, don't they? So um, it's important that they're... Like like from the beginning, we were talking about people needing their work to be out there. Um, I've just commissioned three cartoonists from different countries in the world um, where cartoonists often they what they find is their work's turned off. They can't they can't get any more, more right. work because their work is very controversial. And if they live in a country where the state's very authoritarian, they might they might lean on places. Don't don't commission this guy. Don't we don't want you to put his work in the paper anymore. Cartoons in some ways are, are perfectly suited to um, sort of digital dissemination. Um, I mean, in, in, on a completely different model, in a way, from from you know regular newspapers and so on, because you do find it, it tends to be rather sentimental cartoons. But when something awful happens in the world, someone will put out a cartoon that somehow sums it up in whatever way. And as I say, often a rather sentimental take on it. But it becomes absolutely viral, doesn't it? And and that can happen. So cartoons maybe maybe they'll find a kind of new a new platform. It seems well suited to that square of light on your phone. Apparently Instagram cartoons do very well on Instagram. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, of course. So, yeah, that would be perfect. So if I understood Instagram better, I would lot, know that. A lot of young young people like looking at cartoons and apparently The New Yorker is doing a really interesting thing where it puts a lot of its cartoons out on Instagram and in the hope that it will bring it new audience. Whether the cartoonists will find a financial model that make, makes that work, I don't yes, know. Because, yeah. yeah. of course, that's yeah, about yeah. having your work out there for free, potentially. Yes. But and would that work, say, somewhere like China? Would it work where, yeah, where they well, have massive controls over absolutely. social media? That's, I think it's often about finding new ways of putting information across, sometimes using social media or different types of new media, can mean that you get round restrictions because the authorities haven't quite caught up with yeah. it okay. yet. It's more nimble than the state. Yeah, yeah so yeah. we found, yeah. for instance, <laughs> with podcasts, this is a way that oh. um, people are getting round really? uh, news restrictions in certain countries. Well, that, that's my attempt, is to get... The, when the postcard police come knocking, we're sorted. We've got the podcast, so we're OK. <laughs> good. Well, that's very good. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that and those thoughts about uh, cartoonists and, 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 and free, free speech. Um, Kerry, the next lump of cards that you've brought... <laughs> now, these, these are cards that you have collected. 
I collect them, yes. Um, so I should say I'm not normally as like sentimental and mushy as this, <laughs> but I have spent all year so far talking about childhood trauma and poverty. Perhaps so you it's need it now. Quite nice to have a little break, to be honest. Um, so these are. This so, could be a companion piece to your book. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so this is. Um, so basically, I've been. I started traveling like 15 years ago, and so I come home for about six or eight months, and then go away somewhere. So either Europe or South America. I spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia. And, and this was fun, or fun combined with uh, literary uh, tasks? Fun fun at first, and then it got less fun. No, oh. it was fun at first. And then um, and then I started writing, so I realised that actually it was a really good way to balance the financial sort of difficulties of writing if I could save up some money, go away somewhere, spend some time writing. Uh, and then I went away with my husband, and we travelled uh, around the world for a while then as well. And everywhere I've gone, I've collected, everywhere there's a flea market, and I've collected um, postcards of people's weddings, um, so brilliant idea. Brilliant. I, would you know what's kind of sad is that I, I I should have and I haven't. I haven't. Oh, this one's got something on the back of it. Is that what's that? Is that German or? No, that's that's Turkish, isn't it? It looks like Turkish. Yeah. yeah. So this is a Turkish wedding. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's Turkish. Yeah. Um, so. Um, it's just, I mean, basically, they're they're usually just sort of set shots, but they tell you so much about the culture and the people. And I'm always, there's one, <laughs> there's one that I've got of an East End wedding where everyone's got uh, pies and beans. Wow. I couldn't find it. And um, the husband looks totally delighted and the wife is already like, what? the hell have I done? <laughs> and you can just see it written all over her face and then it's immortalised forever. I never signed up forever. for pies and beans. Um, and I just find them fascinating. You know, there's so many subtle little indicators, so many little stories. It's also this like really important day in people's yeah, lives where absolutely. everything changes. So you're capturing this perfect and moment. These, these are what they call real photographics. They're real photographs which were then printed up with a postcard backing to them. Yeah. yeah. So they so could easily just them. be wedding photographs but because they've got that back, they count. They jump into just the category. Just about. I mean, yeah. I squeezed it. <laughs> I tried to, I tried tried to put these up on an old wall of mine and my ex-partner said she thought it was really macabre because oh. they must be dead. But I think it's, oh, I think it's wonderful. That's true of all old stuff, though, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. I like a bit of sentimental macabre. And I don't also mind. it's a history, isn't it? It's a tracing of the history yeah. through weddings, as you say, a really special day. Quite often it was the only day of the year that people had off work, isn't it? So I remember covering golden weddings, talking to people in the when they were 60 when I was you know starting off as a reporter and they'd say they got married on Christmas day and I thought what a strange day to get married and they were like yeah that's the only day off work we had yes, yes. so we got we got married on Christmas day and I realized after a while everyone got married on Christmas day because that was their day off. Oh, God. I, I've got to say, I spent a lot of this trying to work out like how they afforded everything. Like The East End wedding, you can see, is kind of cobbled together. The bride's dress doesn't quite fit, you know, like... Do you use a magnifying glass to go right into the detail? I mean, I, no, I wish I had a magnifying glass because that's just know. a lovely affectation for a writer, <laughs> isn't it? But, um, but no, I mean, I just... I just So I kind of use them as, as story triggers, but mainly I just think how lovely to... Especially because, um, you know, I don't have a lot of family photos myself because we moved around so much how lovely to have all these little pieces yes. of history and make your own really yeah but there is a melancholy to them because they're with you and although they're interesting to you they don't have any true meaning to you and the person who they would have had true meaning to 
is separated from them. There's nothing sadder, right, than going to a flea market and seeing a box of someone's correspondence. Like, as nosy as I am, I'm a writer, like, of course, I'm, like, the most vicarious, voyeuristic person in the world. But um, but there's there's something heartbreaking about seeing someone's photos and correspondence just laid out for someone to buy for a few p. Yeah. Mm, but at least they're not getting trodden into a puddle. You are keeping hold of them. Yeah, they're, you're they're, you're treasuring them. them. Yeah, I, 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 tr- I treasure them, yeah. So, um, so I'll keep, keep collecting them and then one day maybe I'll... I'll do something interesting with them. Yeah, no, I think it's a brilliant idea. Really brilliant. Um, well, uh, thank you both so much uh, for your time and your postcards. I'm thrilled that you shared them with me and with the listeners. Um, another quick reminder, images of all these cards, from the cartoon to the index to the weddings, they're all going to be on the blog, uh, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can have a look at it and see that we weren't making it up. Um, and including actually one last one from me in the past postcard style, uh, which you're probably familiar with from Twitter and so on. Um, this is a card, a rather amazing colours actually. It's a, it's a John Hind card, a oh, very wow. good uh, publisher, English publisher. Um, very oversaturated colours. It's mm. almost like um, the Wizard of Oz or something. The colours. Can I ask? My husband said that there's my my husband said <laughs> that there's welcome to the 1950s. Um, he said that there's that postcards often use a lot of red because it's like a yes. visually like well, pleasing colour. Particularly for John Hind okay. would very often have someone in red. Yes. Ah. Um, and and in fact. In this case, it's it's kind of well placed. It's the the horse horse rider, the rider on the horse. Um, but often they'll put a, a little boy in a red jumper in the foreground or something to kind of make. I guess it pops out against the predominantly green background. Mm. Um, but yeah, people and people are quite. So people on Twitter are rather big fans of always spotting the red person in red and so on. Ah. So um, <laughs> no, absolutely right, absolutely right. And it, and it does. And it, I don't know what plant that is. Is that like a sort of foxglove or something? Sort of pinky purple, yes, very think, bright. Yeah, so it's, right. it's, it's doing the work as well as the. Um, as well as the it rider. It jumps out at you, doesn't it, in rather yeah. a scary way. Yeah, no, they are amazing cars. They're some of the most beautifully <laughs> photographed there are. Uh, this is from 1988, actually, which seems like five minutes ago to me. Um, and it was sent by a woman called Christine. And it was sent to Seven Oaks in Kent. And um, some stories don't really need any further elaboration. I don't think this does. Um, Jeffrey fell out of his top bunk and broke his wrist on Monday night. Oh, <laughs> poor Jeffrey. That's, that's the highlight of the holiday. Yeah, that, the subtext of that is Jeffrey ruined her holiday, yeah. right? I mean, that's... <laughs> oh, I just thought, yeah, yeah. It's just what Jeffrey would do, isn't it? It's, it's, it's Jeffrey Typical, all over. Classic Jeffrey. Yeah, I, said, I said to put him in the bottom bunk. But, uh, no, Jeffrey fell out of the top bunk. Of course he did. Well, before we let Rachel and Kerry back to their real lives, um, I've got one more postcard for you both. Um, which it is customary to end the programme with one of these. So um, I know you have fond memories of Paris, Kerry. Good Lord. I do indeed, I think I'm right in saying that No, you are, yeah. I don't know if you've seen one of these before. What happens here? You play it and it plays a song. It's a a record postcard. That is exactly right. Sweet Jesus, that's amazing. (laughs) That's the best response we've had. (laughs) No, that's incredible. Can I play this? I've got a record player at home. Well, if we ask young Tom nicely, he might be able to use the technology that he has. (gasps) Wow. Tom? That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, Rocky Roll. Is it from the Moulin Rouge? Is that the idea? It's the music of the Moulin Rouge? I think the picture rarely relates to the music. Okay, okay. (laughs) That's asking too much. It's kind of early swinging 60s, I think, in Paris. Oh, it's fabulous. Hey, Mambo. 
sing. You didn't hear this when you were in Paris. I mean, no. <laughs> but the loss is all mine. Cake shops play a lot less music than you'd expect, and that's where I spend most of my time, so. Well, I always say the same thing. Not bad for a piece of cardboard. Incredible. It's pretty good quality. So, uh, I've never heard of them before. No. <laughs> I was um, really impressed how you guessed what it was. <laughs> eagle eyes, eagle eyes. Well, as the Moulin Rouge continues to spin at 45 RPM uh, and never stops, that's it for this time on Podcasts from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Rachel Jolly and Kerry Hudson. Thank you both. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thanks. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.